You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. I'm Jessica Strauss, and on this edition of the podcast, we're looking at strategies to control late season ryegrass. After a good couple of years in much of the southern region for rainfall, there is some late season weeds coming through crops. And so in this episode, we're going to focus on how to deal with that. We're going to hear from our southern region agronomist, Greg Condon, who provides a great overview on the tools available to growers. Elders agronomist Jason McClure talks to us about his experience with his clients in Narracourt and surrounds in South Australia with windrowing to control ryegrass. And farm manager Andrew Wilson of Viridis Ag in Junie, New South Wales, also joins us to share his experience with adopting tools like soil amelioration, diverse crop rotations and chaff decks to get on top of ryegrass. Pete Newman is my co-host and joins me. How are you going, Pete? I'm very well, Jess, just covering the microphone because I'm working from home today and my dog is <laughs> making plenty of noise. And there's been lots of little doggy and kitten sounds in lots of Zoom calls. I'm sure people will be very forgiving if they hear yep. a dog bark. It's very much the uh, the new normal, I think. <laughs> it is. At least he's outside, so hopefully it's not too bad. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. Now, Pete, what have you been up to? Have you had a good couple of weeks? I have, Jess. I have. I guess the noteworthy thing is that our surf club nippers have started again. <laughs> so uh, I'm the age manager coordinator. Very the nice. official title there, yes. Uh, but, yeah, so back into surf club, Jess, that's, that's great. And uh, farmers obviously into harvest. And like many farmers around the country, having that start-stop with, uh, with rainfall, but I think they are forgiving of it here because the yields here are very, very good. But, yeah, hopefully when they start putting the headers into crops, around the country we find the same thing yeah uh, and you Jess what about you what, yeah what have you been up to I'm good I think we probably did the last hike of the season yesterday uh probably getting a bit warm after this week I think but yeah it's been really lovely weather and yeah I can't quite believe that there's a forecast for rain in WA for later this afternoon it's a bit hard to believe but we'll see it's very sunny at yeah, the moment feels like well it just is not summer let's face it it's not summer it's and it's not even spring it's sort of wintry sort of conditions still, but I'm sure it'll change quickly and uh, and we'll be wishing for the cool weather again. But uh, farmers obviously wishing for some warm weather to get into it, Jess. Yeah, definitely. And some, yeah, really, really good uh, tonnage coming off crops already is being reported in, in WA and elsewhere around the country. And, uh, yeah, obviously with that, though, with that good rainfall that a lot of the country has got, uh, kind of fits well with our topic today, Pete, is that, yeah, it gives additional moisture at times for weeds. So that's going to be our focus for today. But before we get into that, we do have some big news to share. Our online learning platform, Diversity Era, uh, that you might be familiar with, we hope you're familiar with. Uh, We've got a range of free online courses that go out through that platform. And we've just updated our Harvest Weed Seed Control 101 course. So our comms officer, Jessica Scholl, worked really hard on this with yourself and Dr. Michael Walsh from University of Sydney. Pete, can you tell us a bit about this update? Yeah, well, Jess, we put together the the Harvest Weed Seed Control course a few years ago. And of course, there's been some developments since and lots of developments. So developments in the research that Mike Walsh uh, gives us an update on and also developments, developments with the tools themselves. So obviously, in a lot of lot happening with the with the mills and uh, and also just adoption of all of those tools so give an update on that and also i'll go over the um the cost of harvest weed seed control and the nutrient implications again jess because 
uh, as with that research, we've sort of Mike Walsh's research has found a bit of a variation in the amount of chaff uh, compared to grain yield. So he's now talking about maybe the chaff yield being about 15% of grain yield, thereabouts as an average, whereas in the past we did our calculations based on 30%. So the cost of harvest weed seed control uh, for the nutrient cost has actually come down, so we, we're giving an update on that too. Although the nutrient cost will be up this year, just with big fertiliser prices, but um, hopefully that's uh, not a long-term thing. Hopefully it's not a long-term thing, Pete, but yeah, a really good update to the course, and I'll provide the link to uh, how to register for that course online. You can register at any time and do it in your own time when it suits you and at a pace that suits you, and it is free, so do make sure you uh, put it on your to-do list because, yeah, there's lots of really handy uh, hints and information with that update, Pete. But let's get into the podcast for today. We are focusing on controlling late season weeds and we're going to firstly hear from our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon, and he's based in uh, New South Wales and a lot of farms around there have had good rainfall for the last couple of years, but with that, they're also finding that there's some late season weeds coming up. Is that kind of happening in WA at all as well? These late season weeds, are they popping up because of the good moisture? Yeah, well, they certainly do, Jess. When we get a a season with good winter rainfall, that can encourage germinations, you know, late germination of weeds after the pre-emergent herbicides sort of wear off. And particularly in WA, you know, a lot of people had a a pretty early start. So that means that your pre-em herbicides have to protect the crop from weeds for a long, long time. So certainly late germinating weeds are a thing here. But I guess the, the big thing with this interview that you've done with Greg, Jess, which is great, is that in New South Wales, they're coming off the back of two really good years in a row and if ever there's a time to have a look at what's happening with weed seed banks and learn from it now is the time it's just that pre-harvest time when you've got weeds sticking out of crops and you can look at your different rotations and practices and really work out what is working well definitely all right well let's take a listen to greg condon In this interview, we're catching up with our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon. Greg did join us on the podcast as a guest co-host not too long ago, and we focused on crop topping. And in this interview, we're going to revisit this and go over it in a little bit more detail because there has been a couple of wet seasons two years in a row, which is leading to extra weed numbers, particularly in Greg's region. And so we're going to focus on how to get on top of that before harvest and, and what you can do essentially. Greg does join me. How are you going, Greg? I'm well, thanks, Jess. How are you? I'm good. And yeah, great to be having you on the podcast so soon after the last time we chatted. Can you give us firstly just a bit more context around this? Because we have been hearing that there are uh, weeds coming through the crop and that pre-emergent herbicides are running out of a bit of path, as you described offline, Greg. Can you give a bit more of an overview of what's happening out there? Well, I guess it's a seed bank issue. So we've had two good seasons uh, mainly through New South Wales and Northern Victoria, so wetter above average season. So the general treatment of pre-emergent herbicides and some post-emergent herbicides have come under a lot of pressure as the um, season stays wet through the winter and, and that pre-em runs out. And if there's any, uh, I guess, weaker crop competition, for example, in some of our barley crops that copped a bit of wool logging, ryegrass, if there's a, a good background seed bank of ryegrass, is just absolutely proliferated. So we talked about crop topping a couple of weeks ago, but I, I guess... The objective of this chat is to talk on a little bit more broadly beyond even just crop topping and and sort of focus on that seed bank issue. Yeah, that makes sense, Greg. 
And so, uh, yeah, we mentioned there that it's the second favourable season in a row which has influenced weed numbers in the region. What's led to these uh, favourable conditions? Obviously, there's been good rainfall and that kind of thing, but can you paint a bit of a picture of why this has been such a favourable season again this year? Well, it's been really mild as well, Jess, not just the rainfall. So ryegrass being the ultimate temperate species just keeps germinating. If there's a good seed bank there and there might be a bit of weaker crop competition, it uh, it really takes off as uh, as we've said if there's some um, there's background numbers the people might have come out of the uh, out of that dry period in, in sort of 17 18 19 and, and the rotation might might have had uh, you know a, a good enough I guess they've got enough control on, on some of those numbers and hadn't germinated. But yeah, we're, we're sort of seeing big seed bank numbers. And it reflects a bit on some of Chris Preston's work too, that's sort of showing that we, the old rule of thumb was that we could run down a seed bank within in sort of two or three years of ryegrass. Well, Chris's, Chris's data is suggesting it's nearly five. So um, we've, we've got some big numbers that have carried through from last year. And that's sort of been reflected again this year, particularly where people might have, uh, I guess, serial dominant rotations. And even the uh, impact that something like canola might have had in the past of helping to control ryegrass, it's just not sort of showing the same longevity of weed control with just sort of that one-year break crop effect that canola potentially can achieve. We're, we're sort of having to focus on some these big big populations over two to three, even four years. So it's uh, it's taking a concerted effort. It's not every paddock on every farm, but there's certainly some blocks that with uh, you know, resistance pressure, growers are sort of having to um, to step it up. Yeah, it's a good time to be talking about this then, Greg. And it's not just ryegrass. Wild oat numbers are being seen to increase as well. Is that what you're seeing out there, Greg? Yeah, wild oats is a little bit trickier. So uh, as most people would know, ryegrass and, and even brome grass, for that matter, can be controlled effectively with things like harvest weed seed control and even you know, solid crop competition. But wild oats uh, tend to sort of dodge a lot of that harvest weed seed at the, at the back end of the season, particularly in crops like wheat. So the wheat will mature, but the, the wild oats has already beat it to it and set seed. So it just takes a bit more of a concerted effort to, to manage wild oats. It can be done. Um, certainly diverse rotations help that. And if some growers are been under the pump financially, they might have had the capacity to bring in some of the the tools like uh, like pulses, for example, or, uh, or or vetch fallow and the like to sort of help manage wild oats. But the herbicide options are a little bit more limited too. Again, we focus a lot on ryegrass with the preem space. Wild oats don't quite have the same flexibility. Uh, generally, they might germinate at the surface, uh, and, and some of those weeds mightn't be controlled by some of the uh, the, the preem options that we control uh, ryegrass with. So it's just a little bit more of a concerted effort. Probably doesn't have the same yield limiting capacity that ryegrass does, but uh, wild oats, yeah, taking a little bit more uh, a little bit more effort for growers to manage, and we're having to sort of look a bit more closely at some of the herbicide resistance testing data with wild oats to uh, to look at some of the post M options a bit more closely. Yeah, okay, Greg, that makes sense. And you kind of mentioned some of the things a little bit there that growers can do, but from your perspective, particularly for growers in your region, what are some of the things from the Weed Smart Big Six, for example, that growers can do to get on top of these ryegrass and wild oat populations? Well, as we mentioned in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Jess, that the tool is crop topping, so that late season control with uh, with either glyphosate or paraquat. I guess the big one is harvest weed seed control. So Weed Smart talk a lot about harvest weed seed control. So for some growers, uh, that, that means this year there might even be a little bit of narrow windrow burning go on in, in some strategic paddocks or, or areas within strategic crops. The impact mills are the premium product around <laughs> harvest weed seed control. But yeah, their adoption is slowly gaining momentum. It's not as strong as probably what it is in WA and even South 
Australia. But we'll see a few more impact mills out there this year, be it the Seed Terminator, the IHSD, even the um, even the Redicop yeah, Seed Control Unit. But they're, they're still chaff decks. They're quite popular and even a degree of chaff lining. So they're not destroying the weed seeds, but they're more a site-specific tool to sort of put them in the same same place you know, on repeatable year-on-year sort of CTF systems. So Harvest Weed Seed Control is really effective at, at sort of helping manage some of the ryegrass. And we've even got some of the mixed farmers have done, um, you know, strategic hay cutting and silage this year to sort of clean up some of those um, heavy ryegrass pressures. But particularly we've got glyphosate-resistant ryegrass, so if you pack it up and put it into a bale that won't be fed out into cropping areas again, that's that's been really effective. Awesome, Greg. And you mentioned harvest weed seed control options there. So what is most common now in your region and has it changed in the last few years compared to previous years? It has, yes. Narrow windrow burning was really popular for quite a, a number of seasons here, but it's got really problematic around the um, you know, smoke issues in the autumn and whatnot. It, it was really effective. Like it did a cracking job on controlling the the, uh, the ryegrass seeds and even radish and the like. But um, yeah, we've sort of seen a bit of a shift, and probably even a little bit of disadoption in, in cases with um, chaff lining, for example. But the the mills are growing; their numbers are slow, and you know some of these big seasons with capacity losses have sort of uh, had a, an impact on on the adoption of uh, of the mills. But I, I still think it's a gradual progress of uh, of people getting used to uh, how that um, how that system can work, particularly in cereals and pulses. So that sort of technology is uh, is being uptaken. As I said, the chaff decks are still generally pretty popular with a lot of growers in this region and serve a purpose until I guess they eventually get to the the impact mill um, stage. Yeah, for sure. And Greg, obviously harvest weed seed control is one component of the Weed Smart Big Six puzzle. What are some of the other longer term strategies though that growers and advisors are putting in place in your region to help combat their weed burdens? Well, with the big seed bank carryover we're seeing again this year, Jess, with, with ryegrass, there's some rotation planning uh, that, that's sort of probably being a bit more aggressive in, in how people might manage some of those you know, big burdens. So it could be looking at a bit more diversity with, with pulses, for example, or vetch fallows. So mixed farmers have got that ability. But even, I guess, some of the continuous croppers are starting to say, well, we just can't control some of these uh, ryegrass numbers in a lupin or a, or a favour bean crop, for example. So we're, uh, you know, we're sort of looking to bring in a little bit of you know, brown manure fallow to sort of take the pressure off the selective herbicide. So rotation choice is really important, I guess, in directly crop competition is another one as well so we've seen an increasing interest in our region with narrow row spacing so that polarizes everyone but uh, it certainly works it's just amazing to sort of walk in paddocks at the moment and see a, a crop on seven and a half inch rows or 195 mils the a wild oak plant might be there with one or two tillers and you sort of go to areas where there's less crop competition and, and the wild oats will have you know five to ten tillers so that, that's all adding to more seeds per square meter going back to the seed bank and the principle applies exactly the same for ryegrass so crop competition works in its many different formats as we've talked about a lot in the past uh, people choosing I guess competitive barley varieties, for example, uh, also looking at um, how the orientation of, of crop sowing is probably not adopted as much in the east as the west, but just competitive crops generally uh, do, do help reduce that seed bank pressure in combination with uh, with the pre-emergent chemistry, which is the, the big gun that everyone employs, but we need to um, sort of really support that with the other tactics. Yeah, certainly, Greg. And I think there are probably a lot of growers and advisors listening to this and, yeah, taking note of the other uh, big six principles that are being employed by other growers. 
And Greg, you mentioned that profits are shaping up to be very positive in your region. So how do you think this will affect uh, how growers plan for managing their ryegrass seed banks and their farming systems into the future? We're trying to get the complementary practices together, Jess. So it's like we talked about harvest weed seed control and impact mills. So we know even within our client group, there's a number of growers who are really looking at that that $100,000 investment in the next two or three years um, as something that'll be on their radar. So that's that's a pretty significant commitment to, to sort of some non-chemical weed control. But I guess the other one for us in our region and in all regions of, of the cropping area is soil amelioration. So um, if we want to achieve greater crop competition for a lot of people, that, that might be dealing with sodicity or acidity. So, you know, with, with extra profits in some of these businesses, they're looking to invest in things like more lime, mixing that lime in, giving the crops the edge over the weeds. So they're, they're two sort of uh, things that are front and centre of planning at the moment. And then the third one is that rotation choice so you know, potentially we know canola is really profitable but we can sort of look at mitigating some of the the end costs of canola by, by growing some of these brown manure pulses for example and taking the pressure off the herbicides and also fixing some nitrogen so that farming systems influence really comes into not only managing the weeds but sort of offsetting some of the the costs of an expensive crop like canola Certainly, Greg, and it's a great time for growers to be thinking about what they might be able to do to uh, yeah, change up their farming system where appropriate and employ some of these tactics. Before we wrap things up, is there any other points that you'd like to make on this topic? Greg, anything in particular that you'd like to share? No, I guess we've covered most things, Jess. It's really that uh, that seed bank management. It's a theme we bang on about all the time at Weed Smart, and, and it's nothing like a couple of wet years to sort of remind you how uh, how ryegrass can come back and bite you on the bum. So it's uh, it's been a big wake up call in in a lot of paddocks to see how the uh, the seed bank is, it was at a lot higher levels than what we anticipated, but. Uh, Conversely, on the other side is all the tools we've got available to help manage it. So I think there's um, you know, some growers out there really leading the charge and I think people should have, have confidence in sort of seeing what, what they're doing and how effective it is where they've got these rotations and, and tools like impact mills or cutting hay or competitive crops to help um, you know, mitigate the pressure. Certainly, Greg, good advice. Well, thank you so much for giving us an update. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jess. Thank you so much to our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon there. Now, Pete, this is a pretty big topic that we're covering today on the podcast and Greg did a stellar job of explaining a lot of the tools at people's disposal and what's going on in his patch with late season weeds. And you gave him a a bit of a phone call to have a chat a little bit more about this and uh, talk about uh, how people are controlling these weed seed banks. What did you find out from Greg in that chat? Yeah, I, I asked him, Jess, because I know that Greg has got um, – he's got clients running strip and disc. He's got clients with disc seeders. He's got clients not doing that and also a range of cropping rotations and also a range of people using, like, the Weed Smart Big Six, if you like. And so I just thought now's a good time to find out who's winning, particularly because we have that situation where, say, with strip and disc farmers, they don't really have uh, access to use a lot of the pre-em herbicides with all the residue. So I gave Greg a call and said, right, Greg, can you sort of identify anything in particular that is proving really effective? And he just said one thing, Jess, straight away, diverse rotations. So he said it's the diverse rotations that are really having a win. And I think he talked about this in the interview, but growers that double break, so often a legume of some sort followed by canola, then wheat, then barley. And he did just tell me about one particular grower over there. They had a bit of a field day. And he just blew everyone away who, by just saying, look, we don't use any pre-em in our barley anymore. And 
We've got seed terminators. Uh, they're doing all the Weed Smart Big Six and this diverse rotation of legume, canola, wheat, barley, and just having such a win that they've got to a point where they don't need a pre-em every year. So, wow. yeah, really just interesting observation from Greg and just like I said before his interview, just a great time to sort of take stock and have a look at the paddocks, which ones have got weeds, which haven't, and and work out what's really working. Yeah, certainly, Pete. And, yeah, hopefully there's a few people in headers looking out at those paddocks and getting prompted to do that <laughs> uh, as we speak. We are going to hear from a farm manager next in Andrew Wilson, and he's going to give a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a case study of what they're doing. Now, he's based in the same kind of area as Greg is. He's in Juni in New South Wales and uh, talks through quite a few of the different tactics they're using to get on top of their weed seed bank. What struck you about this conversation, Pete? Oh, Jess, it's just the old chestnut that it's no one thing. It's everything working together. And I know we talk about that a lot, but we still love hearing it back from <laughs> growers about it's very affirming. putting all of those, yeah, putting all of those pieces of the puzzle together. That's what does the trick. It certainly is, Pete. All right, well, let's take a listen. In this interview, we're chatting to Andrew Wilson, who is the farm manager at Viridus Ag in Juni, New South Wales. Andrew has worked on the farm over the last few years to improve the farming system through approaches like soil amelioration, good rotations and chaff decks. And through these tactics, there's been a reduction in the ryegrass seed bank and a lift in profits through improved yields. Andrew joins us to tell us all about the journey. How are you going, Andrew? Yeah, very well, thanks, Jess. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Can you just firstly tell us about your role at Viridus Ag as the farm manager and a bit about the farm itself? Yeah, no worries. So I'm the farm manager for this uh, Englefield Plains aggregation, which is about 7,000 hectares here at uh, Juni, like you said. It's sort of spread out over sort of about 50 kilometres, so it doesn't all join at once. Yeah, so I've been on the farm since. Uh, 2013 with the previous owners and then I became the manager in 2018 and then not long after uh, Viridus Ag bought the property which is sort of part of the Macquarie Ag Fund and then we, we sort of identified then that we'd been sort of doing a wheat canola rotation for a few years and especially after 2016 we sort of really got a, a, a massive issue with ryegrass after that wet year in 2016 so we sort of really needed to uh, make a few changes and try and get back on top of it and improve our crops and our yields and our profits. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to go into details about that today, which we're really grateful for. So as we mentioned in the intro, there has been several changes that you've implemented on the farm. So let's start with soil amelioration. Why was this tactic uh, one that you decided to employ on the farm? We sort of had a lot of uh, areas that we've identified across the farm that weren't performing very well regularly from the yield maps. We started doing a lot of quick uh, soil testing and then we sort of really started to identify at that sort of 10 to 20 centimetre layer in the soil. The pH was sort of down to the low fours and in those areas we are getting poor plant growth and then there was just a great area for ryegrass and take off. So luckily with, the, with various eggs, they were pretty keen to try and get the farm up to scratch as quick as we could. So we, we underwent a massive soil amelioration program, like you said, and over two years, we, uh, we spread around 15,000 tonne of lime and over three years, we've incorporated it to sort of 25 centimetres just to try and get that pH above five and a half within that level to try and give our plants the best opportunities in the right conditions to grow. 
Yeah, it's a massive job. And what improvement have you seen in regards to the impact on ryegrass growing in those areas? Have you seen a measurable improvement? Definitely. The crops are a lot more uh, more even, a lot more uniform. We're giving the ryegrass, I guess, a lot more crop competition and uh, choking them out a bit. So it's certainly, uh, it's certainly helping. And, and we're getting better. Besides 2019, which is probably one of our worst, record, worst rec- years on record, we're uh, starting to see some really good results with yields, especially from last year. This year is probably looking just as good. That's awesome. And in regards to soil amelioration, do you have any particular things that you'd like to mention about how you go about it that you think would be helpful for other growers and agronomists listening? Yeah, we just did a lot of soil testing. And for us in this area, it's really been done quite later. But there hasn't been a lot of tillage done over the last sort of 20 years that the uh, the line just isn't getting down to that sort of 10 to 20 centimetre layer and there's quite an acidic layer there. And, you know, it's not something we like doing, but it was just a bit of strategic tillage just to try and lift that pH up in that level. So, yeah, just probably try to pick some areas, you know, do a lot of soil tests and just get as much data as you can, I guess, to, to try and um, make up some maps and then uh, apply the line where it needs to be in those right areas. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good to make a really informed decision, especially on something like soil amelioration. Let's move on to crop rotations. Can you talk to us a bit about your approach to this? Yeah, so we're pretty keen to try and start growing some pulses. Probably two-thirds of it have been continuously cropped for sort of 20 years and it's probably getting quite tired. And we're sort of looking to try and start implementing a double break just so we could use a bit more chemistry on the ryegrass. Yeah, we sort of grow a pulse and canola and wheat and barley. So we're sort of getting a, we're mixing our chemicals up a fair bit. We're getting crop topping in the pulse phase, and it seems to be working. We seem to be slowly uh, getting on top of the ryegrass numbers. That's excellent. And in regards to crop topping and windrowing, uh, you know, how do you approach this tactic? Is it something that you're doing on the farm regularly? Can you talk us through it? We used to windrow burn uh, everything, and that was probably one of the. The reasons we went to Chaftex just trying to get out of that uh, windrow burning because it was a massive job plus there's quite a few safety issues with it. So at the moment, we just strategically pick some paddocks that uh, we think we can get a good result on with crop topping. We're probably lucky this year. A lot of our canola had a lot of early growth and it's a lot of it's a hybrid. So it's, it was great crop competition and choked a lot of the ryegrass out just except in a few patches. So we'll probably just come back and do a bit of strategic spraying, a bit of crop topping, and we've got one paddock of barley. We'll probably, about 100 hectares, which is the next pasture paddock, we'll probably uh, crop top it when the, when the timing's right. Yeah, and then put it in the chaff lines. Excellent, Andrew. And, yeah, like you mentioned, you're using chaff decks as well and you're using four headers. Can you talk us through the decision process, I guess, of uh, going down this path and how it's going for you? Yeah, well, like I said, we used to do a lot of windrow burning of our canola, and it was just a massive job. And there's plenty of safety issues with it. So when Veritas bought it out, we got our own headers and we thought chaff decks at the time were a great time to try and contain the ryegrass from spreading across the paddock because we had a lot of fence lines that we had issues with and every time we ran the header over them, was was spreading a bit further into the paddock. So we put the chaff deck on the headers and that seems to be containing it quite well. And then this harvest, on the fourth header, which is one we bring down from already, we're going to trial a, uh, a seed terminator to see if that could have a fit in our system and uh, run some numbers on it, see if uh, it will work for us. 
Yeah, excellent. And so, would uh, if if the numbers are good and it works out, what would your plan be? Would you have some shaft decks and and a terminator or a impact wheel? What's your plan? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's pretty early days. We've only sort of started this in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think you know it's obviously it's a massive investment. We just really need to do the, the numbers on it uh, to see what impact it's going to have on us. Uh, how much it's going to slow us down, uh, and then really look at you know the benefits next year. You know what sort of ryegrass control did we get, and what sort of job is done on the volunteers. So, yeah, it'll just be a really good trial. We're, we're just to run side by side and we'll sort of do some good block tests and see how it comes up. Very good plan. I like how informed you're going to be with all your data. That sounds awesome. We'll have to check back in with you and see how you go with that. And just finally, Andrew, do you have any tips for growers out there? Obviously, you're doing a lot when it comes to all stages of your farming practice throughout yeah, seeding and harvest. You're doing a lot to try and really drive that seed bank down. Is there anything that you haven't mentioned or any tips you'd like to share for other growers on how to really focus on getting that weed seed bank down or, or maybe where to start? Well, I think it's. I don't think there's any one thing that, that is the answer. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's, you know, for us, we had to get the soil right first and then it was getting a good sustainable rotation. We're not relying on the same chemistry all the time to attack these weeds and then we're sort of using, pretty keen to use non-chemical options too because, you know, like every farm, we've got resistance issues. So it's just about trying to use every tool we've got possible. Hopefully together we can uh, drive these seed numbers down. Excellent, Andrew. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're really having a win. So thank you so much for sharing all that information about uh, your approach to managing the farm uh, with Viridus Ag. We really appreciate it. No worries, Jess, anytime. Thank you so much to uh, Andrew Wilson there from Viridus Ag. Really appreciate him taking the time because he yeah, was very busy organising a, a few contractors when we were doing that interview, Pete. So we really appreciate him coming on board and explaining his farming system. And yeah, he likes to really get into the data of things and make really informed decisions. And that's the story he told around their uh, process they're going through with trialling the seed terminator. They did have chaff decks for uh, quite a while and now they're giving the Sea Terminator a crack. What did you think of that approach, Pete? Yeah, Jess, I think it's fair to say that's what we're starting to see from corporate farms is that they do love data analysis and they have people that specialise in it. So we're going to really learn a lot from them in that respect. And, yeah, what a what a great bit of data that will be comparing mm. one seed Terminator with three uh, harvesters with chaff decks. We get a real, you know, we've heard from New South Wales last year that the, that the mills did slow the harvesters down significantly in those very heavy crops. And so um, be really interesting to just get some really good data on that. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, they if they can make a case for it, for a mill, that will be a, a really positive move uh, for other growers to watch and learn from. Yeah, certainly, Pete. Yeah, we're really excited. We will follow up with Andrew and find out how they go next year. Uh, and we've got one final interview for today. We're going to be hearing from Elders agronomist Jason McClure. He's based in South Australia in Narracourt, around the high rainfall zone there, and he's going to be sharing with us some of the experiences his clients have with uh, with windrowing canola and faber beans as an option to try and control late-season weeds. Uh, what did you think of this chat, Pete? Yeah, Jess, I guess before we get into this, I thought it'd be good to just sort of do a bit of a few definitions here. There's the term yeah. windrowing gets used differently in different states. Yeah. So in Western Australia, we often call it swathing and in other states it's windrowing and then you get a bit of both. But yeah, obviously it's that practice of sort of 
cutting a crop down and putting it into those rows uh, where it dries before harvesting. So just wanted to clear that up just in case someone's listening to this interview wondering what windrowing is because they're familiar with the term swathing perhaps. But yeah, interesting to hear not only to clean up the late season weeds, Jess, but also in some situations, like he says, with faber beans, just to get more yield by windrowing. And that's always the best reason to do something. Yeah, that was a really interesting point he made. And yeah, hopefully a few ears will be uh, burning with that news. So let's get into it and take a listen. In this interview, we're chatting with elders agronomist Jason McClure about the benefits of windrowing canola and beans and dealing with those late season weeds that are popping up through crops. Jason is based in Narracourt in South Australia and joins us now. How are you going, Jason? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Firstly, can you just give us a bit of an overview of the seasonal conditions you're experiencing in your patch at the moment, broadly speaking? We had a a late break and a dry June, but then, yeah, near record July rainfall and then August, September were reasonably dry, but then October, November, we've had good above average rainfall again, which has been great for our crops. That's excellent to hear. Now, Jason, we've, we have been getting reports about late season weeds in crops. Is this something you're seeing in your region, particularly with that additional rainfall that you've been getting? Yeah, the late rains in late September, October have yeah definitely helped germinate after the pre-emergence of run out. So some late season ryegrass and milk thistle broadleaf weeds in, in our beans particularly. Okay. All right. So windrowing, we know, can be helpful as a tool to stop late season weed setting seed. What's your approach to this method with your clients? Where clients use windrowing in their canola, where there might be a late season or higher weed burden, try and use some glyphosate underneath the cutter bar at that timing to reduce the seed set for next year. Beans, similarly, a bit less round up under the cutter bar, but it's more helping to control the, the milk thistle that and helping that dry out for harvest. And what kind of efficacy do you see from this tactic being employed, Jason? I guess it's just part of another tool to reduce the numbers for next year. So nothing's 100%, but it definitely reducing that seed bank for the following year. So, yeah, it definitely helps. Are there any barriers to windrowing that you've, uh, that you've noticed from growers in your patch, Jason? Access to getting a um, windrower with cutting bar or traditionally people have, have direct headed beans or d- using direct heading canola but yeah where they're they've got their own gear or and getting contractors on time that have the have the right gear and have a spray bar underneath can be a challenge sometimes yeah right so if if someone's listening to this thinking that you know windrowing might be a good fit for them what would your advice be in coordinating those efforts to get windrowing done in the future talk to your contractor early or um, if you've got your own gear just with your agronomist to be sure you're getting it on at the right time and in a timely manner great jason all right well that's yeah that's good advice is there anything else that growers need to be aware of when it comes to windrowing from your perspective uh wind can be a bit of an issue with the windrower so just yeah probably trying to windrow east-west versus north-south if that's practical. But, yeah, just timeliness, getting things done on time is probably the most critical thing to achieving good, A, optimising crop yield and getting some weed control as well. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. Obviously, you want to get the weeds before they drop their seeds on the ground. Uh, Jason, that kind of covers the, you know, I guess the basics of windrowing. But in your region, what other tactics do you think might be a good fit for growers uh, in your patch? Is there anything that else that they can do to drive down their weed seed bank, even into, you know, looking at options into the future for next year? do have some clients that do crop top their beans and canola as well where they mightn't have access to a windrower. So this is also another good tactic. Not a lot of seed destroyers or seed destructor technology in our area at this stage, but I think that's definitely a another tool to be looking at down the track. Thinking about planning for next year, going into seeding and that kind of thing, what would your advice to growers be around thinking about their farming system for weed control tactics? Is there anything in particular that you think people should be thinking about and potentially uh, employing as a tactic? I think with ryegrass particularly and especially in the high rainfall zone that we're in, it's important to use a robust um, pre-emergent package to help stop those initial or reduce those initial germinations. Yeah, that's probably the key strategy and also trying to sow on time, get the crop in and up and use crop competition as another tactic to reduce that early germinations in the crop. Excellent advice, Jason. And before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you'd like to mention around the windrowing tactic or anything else that's sort of piqued your interest in this chat that you'd like to uh, yeah, affirm with growers? Well, we found our experience is that with beans, you definitely do increase the amount of beans you do get in the harvest. You don't get the loss in front of the header. Definitely helps increase yield when you're growing beans. So it can offset the cost of that additional cost. Okay, excellent. That's a really good tip. Uh, yeah, really good to know, handy to know, because, yeah, that might be the, the reason somebody goes ahead or not with the wind during their bean crop. So, Jason, thank you so much for giving a snapshot into some of the benefits there of wind drawing and why it's a good tactic to consider doing, especially in a year like this where late season rain has popped up and caused some additional weed germinations, unfortunately. But thank you so much for explaining it. Uh, it sounds like it's a really worthwhile tactic to consider. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Not a problem. Thanks, Jess. Thank you so much to Jason McClure there, who is an agronomist with Elders. Jason focused quite a bit there on windrowing. What's your perspective on windrowing and uh, how people can use it as a tactic? Yeah, well, I think I've talked about this before, Jess, but, you know, Ray Harrington's someone that we've done a lot of work with, Ray and Tim Harrington farming down at Dark and down there, high rainfall zone as well, a lot of late germinating weeds, used a lot of windrowing or swathing as we call it in WA to really put those weeds into the swath and keep them there ready for the destructor to come through and destroy it. So I think that windrowing on their farm made about as as much a difference to the weed seeds as the destructor itself because one you're cutting early so you're just stopping those weeds lodging but also we know from the research michael walsh's research that when we cut crops when we put that ryegrass seed head in the windrow it stays the ryegrass stays in the seed head it's a really important thing to know about windrowing crops so when we cut them low uh, and windrow them we just know that when we come through with some harvest weed seed control after that we know that the weed seeds will still be there to be picked up by the harvester. Yeah, that's a great point, Pete. Well, that just about wraps up the podcast today, but we do have a few things we'd like to share with the audience 
bit of new content that's on the website that we'd love for you to check out. We did mention earlier at the top of the podcast that we've updated our Harvest Weed Seed Control 101 course, uh, so make sure you check that out. The link to that will be in the show notes. We've also got a new regional update coming out next Monday. It's going to be our last one for the southern region, and our high rainfall zone agronomist, Yana Dixon, will be our guest for that one. All you have to do to make sure that you don't uh, miss that episode is make sure you subscribe to the Weed Smart podcast on your app of choice. We've also now got the intercropping webinar now online for you to watch in video format. So that was with Southern Extension agronomist Greg Condon and guest presenter Dr. Andrew Fletcher from CSIRO. He's a farming system scientist. And in this webinar, the principles of mixing different crops together and how this can potentially provide weed management options for growers was outlined. Make sure you check that one out. We've also got a new Weed Smart Shorts video. So that's one of those short videos. It's a new format that we're doing at the moment. And our Southern Extension agronomist Chris Davey had a chat with University of Adelaide's Dr Chris Preston on what the herbicide resistant hotspots were in the recent ryegrass survey that uh, Dr Chris Preston has done along with his other colleagues. Pete, that survey work is a big deal, isn't it? Let's just pause on that for a moment because there's lots of work that goes into these surveys and the data is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and Jess, we've got surveys happening all around the country now. They're all working together now using the same methodology and so on. And so, um, yeah, Michelle Owen in Western Australia, um, Peter Butzalis and Chris Preston in South Australia and uh, and the Mallee there and John Broster in New South Wales and further north up in, up in Queensland, a team of people all around the country getting around and surveying weeds and pooling all of that data together. So, yeah, it is an enormous undertaking and it is giving us that um, progression of herbicide resistance through time and, and helping us keep an eye on what's coming next. Yeah, exactly. And as more data becomes, uh, you know, analysed, we're going to get a lot more information coming out of those survey results. But in the meantime, Pete, uh, how do people stay in touch with us? Can you uh, give us a bit of an, an idea of how people keep in touch? Oh, we love hearing from people on social media, Jess. So Twitter and Facebook uh, is the best way to keep in touch with Weedsmart. And this is where all of our new seasonally relevant articles and updates on weed control are posted. But it's also a great place to have discussions. We love it when growers and agronomists put up ideas and questions and, and create discussion. And then we can then go and interview people for the podcast and for our other uh, extension material. So, yeah, social media, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, definitely. And we've been doing quite a few polls recently as well. So we'd love for you to contribute to those too. But just finally, it would mean the world to us if you could help us spread the word of the Weed Smart message. All you need to do is share this podcast with your friends and family if they're in farming as well. And if you do have a spare moment, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts is a huge help to get the word out. So if you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the Weed Smart Podcast on your podcast app of choice. All you need to do is search Weed Smart Podcast but that's it for this week Pete thanks so much for joining me thanks Jess we'll catch you next time